name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about all things allergy and eczema. I have for you Ruth Holroyd. She is the owner of whatallergy.com. She's an author of two books to date, maybe more coming up, and a blogger, as well as an allergy and eczema expert. Ruth, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm excited to, to be here. And I forgot to mention Brit with a very cool accent. So bonus points for today. So Ruth, tell me your story. How did you, like, you've got eczema, you've got allergies. It's become a passion project for you to help other people. What is your story? Everybody's are so different and yet so similar. Uh, when were you first diagnosed and what issues were you running up into? Yeah, so I was 50 this year. So back when I first had reactions, I don't think we even knew what the word anaphylaxis was. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'd never heard of it until I was in my 20s. I was told that I had an allergy and that was down to my parents working out like, why is this child being sick? Or like, it would be like around Christmas or birthdays and it would be random, like couldn't work out why. So I eventually got a nut allergy diagnosed and the advice is pretty much, oh, don't eat nuts. That's about it. No adrenaline. So I guess that's where I started from. And in some ways, I'm really grateful because I speak to parents now and kids who have such high anxiety knowing. And as an adult, even now in my 50s, I have panic attacks still and anxiety about anaphylaxis potentially happening. You don't know when, you know, what day am I going to make a mistake or someone else is going to make a mistake. So that is, I'm quite grateful that I had a childhood where I did not, like, blissfully unaware. There was no Google. And lucky, lucky that way, yeah. Look anything up. But on the other hand, (laughs) there's so much more, so many good products now, so much more that we know. We were playing Russian roulette with my life back then, which makes me just think, God, I just can't believe we did some of the things we did, like, just didn't know I would eat rebels and I would suck them to see whether it was the peanut one and then give that to my brother or sister or you know that's just insane <laughs> and I used to have reactions when I did that that was I didn't know that it would kill me I just was like oh it might make me sick and that was kind of as far as my brain took it so I think then I got made redundant and I wanted to start a restaurant website it's what what allergy should be it's not meant to be a blog and my brother was going to help me build it and he got to a certain point and he went yeah I can't do it I I, you know, I said I could but I can't I can't do it it's too complicated so I've made you a blog you should do a blog anyway because there's nothing out there why don't you share all this stuff you're learning so that's how it kind of happened by mistake I didn't want to do a blog <laughs> did it by accident and now it's just become my unpaid job and I, I just love it I, I'm learning things all the time that I want to share and it's um kind of a calling like being an advocate which is a word I didn't know at the time but I think some of us are advocates and we're just we want to help just have to it's in my blood I'm not I'm not well if I'm not doing something to share what I've learned so, so. before you started the blog were you a writer I've always written, but I wouldn't have called myself a writer. So I've written a diary from like a young age and they're all up there in a box somewhere in the cupboard over there. And in my diary from about the age of 11, I used to say I wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't 
you know I wasn't ever encouraged it was just something you couldn't make a living doing that but I did I became a copywriter and a kind of journalism working in marketing doing a lot of writing so I weaved writing into my job but I didn't write a book until lockdown an actual book and I still now can't quite believe that I've done that because it was just always my dream and not just one and then another one yeah so so tell me about the books the books um yeah I I went to a writer's group recently and somebody said to me so do you read a lot of self-help books and I was like no I buy a lot of self-help books but I don't actually read them all and I do find them quite hard to digest a lot of self-help books and I think I wrote this really different in a really different way and the publishers approached me to write it and it was just good timing I lost my job I was going through steroid withdrawal I was quite ill and I kind of needed something to take my mind off that so it was perfect timing um would you like to write a book my dream come true <laughs> so I said yes and they wanted it to be more like a story and more like take my hand and come with me through my journey with anaphylaxis rather than this anaphylaxis, this is how it works, this is what you do. And and I wanted it to be more like a like a story. Because I can't read self-help books. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't disagree with you on that one. The the story is important. Mm. So let's talk about that. So, so you have anaphylactic allergies, but one of the symptoms that you get with your allergies also is eczema. And I, I feel like eczema is one of those words, kind of like asthma or allergy, where it can mean a pretty broad variety of things for different people. Your eczema has been really life affecting. And you mentioned the topical steroid withdrawal. Talk me through you know, how eczema affects you and and what they gave you to help you with it. I've seen, Mm. like I mentioned when we were chatting before the show started, I've seen some people on TikTok also going through that topical steroid withdrawal. And yet it's something that has never affected me. I didn't even know existed. So tell me all about that because it's pretty painful. It's awful. (laughs) Just awful. Um, And it's quite controversial because in America, it isn't even really recognized as a condition. In England, it is. We have a charity and um, the MHRA, which is our medical health regulation authority, have recognised it. They have a statement on their website and they govern all medicines. So that's pretty cool. And the National Eczema Society in England also recognises it and has a statement. But in America, it that hasn't happened yet. So I think, and in a lot of other countries, it's hard to get your dermatologist to even read about it because it's not very well known. And I so I didn't I think I've probably had issues in the past, but not realized because like with any drug, you kind of build resilience to it. Like if you take too many antibiotics, you can become resistant. So let's kind of start from the beginning. When you have eczema that is a bit chronic, you prescribe for you a topical steroid, like a hydrocortisone or something like that. I realize that's not the only one, but it's the one people know, right? That's the starter point. Hydrocortisone is the weakest one. And then you can build up through the potency. So you start with that. And if that, sometimes that is enough, sometimes that works and not everyone gets topical steroid withdrawal. I hope that it's very rare, but I feel like it's more common than we realize. And then if it doesn't get better, you get like a rebound flare, but it comes back worse. Or this is what happened for me. And you work your way up the potencies and you get to a point where 
there is nowhere else to go. And then there are immunosuppressants and oh gosh. immunologic drugs, JAK inhibitors, which I'm not even sure I can explain how they work, but they're all kind of trying to attack an area of inflammation and, a, and a, something the body is doing that causes this horrendous response on the skin. It's trying to block that. So and your I think system is attacking an allergen, not dissimilar to how anaphylaxis works, but in this case on the skin. So once the topical steroids stop working, then they start you on immunosuppressants, which have a whole other set of side effects, maybe not worth yeah. it. Yeah, I didn't get on great with the immunosuppressants. Um, stop your immune system from stop. working in its full capacity. Yeah. I got very bad shingles. Oh. I put on a lot of weight. As a woman, that's not great, although it shouldn't matter what size I am. But yeah, it was not nice. I felt it, it was almost like having a hangover. It, it didn't make me feel quite sick, actually, <laughs> taking that. It's a, drug, it's a drug for cancer that they're giving you for your skin. So it feels like a bit of a, a kind of we try and see kind of thing. So what happened was I wrote a blog about how to use steroids properly. <laughs> I have since removed that blog. But. I was like, you need to use them for longer. You need to use them how the doctor says. Don't worry, they're completely safe. I've taken that blog down. But someone put a comment going, that picture looks like topical steroid withdrawal. I'd never heard of it. And I Googled it and decided, no, absolutely not doing that. <laughs> and I was in denial for quite a long time. And I almost didn't have a choice. I got so bad. And then I, you know, suppressants were very bad as well. And I had to just make a choice. Like, none of these are working. I'm making my body, my poor body is just... The adrenals aren't working. The lymph glands aren't working properly. My skin is just horrendous. So I researched it properly and I just, it coincided with lockdown, which I guess is fortunate because everyone was staying at home. So I just thought, right, I'm going to do it. I had to leave work. I couldn't work for six months. It's just like that whole body. It's like your biggest organ of your body is just not working. And it it's hard itching all the time. You can't sleep. You can't move without cracking bits open if you look at pictures uh, I've got some on my blog it's actually quite shocking to look back at them now I find them a little bit triggering to look at did you stop just cold yeah. turkey using all those topical steroids I tried to taper but it's quite hard to taper when you don't get very far before you start getting worse so you kind of a lot of drugs you can taper off but it was quite hard to taper off topical steroids because it would be a week or two and I'd be pretty bad so you get to a point where it's just getting bad <laughs> and you well, want kind to of, since we can't put pictures up in a podcast what kind of symptoms did you see when you started I had <clears throat> nerve pain I think was the, one of the hardest because it was just constant really bad pain stabbing pains that I couldn't sleep when I had when I had that like in my face and all up my arms and legs um super itchy like incessantly itchy so that you just have ice packs to just try and get through the day so you can't do anything you're just like can't work I'm just sitting here with an ice pack then it would just crust off and it's like the most incredible proliferation of flaking it's it's like a massive ex it, it, it's a science experiment and whilst I'm angry it's happened to me and I don't wish it on anyone we are a science experiment happening. Like who would imagine that a cream that's meant to make you better leaves you with a skin barrier that cannot work. It's absolutely broken. It just, how, how much cruel. of your body was affected by your eczema? Mm, and therefore my by your withdrawal? At some point, all of it, but luckily for me, there were parts I wasn't active. It wasn't active everywhere at the same time, but my ears, 
were blocked completely for six months with just skin coming out of them and ooze and it's quite incredible so crazy it is my feet healed quite quickly so that I had like the lower part of my leg was fine so I had bits that were okay but my nose has been perfect all the way through (laughs) (laughs) don't ask me why I'm, I'm flaring a little bit now but it's so mild now so it's kind of winter flares for me so historically they would give you the topical steroids to help with the eczema rather than kind of treating the underlying allergy yeah. or in addition to yeah. treating the underlying allergy. Yeah. So then you went through the withdrawal of it where you've got the symptoms from no more steroids and the symptoms from the eczema, I would think. Mm. So now that you're through that phase, how are you handling your eczema now? Just naturally. And I'm just working hard on my diet. And it is so complex because we're all different. Like there's foods that are supposedly inflammatory. So I'm trying to learn about that. But it for me, a lot of it is mental health as well. Kind of accepting that it isn't always perfect and it's okay, perhaps not to have completely perfect skin all the time. Because I think we have this obsession with fixing it, making it go away. And sometimes that makes it worse. I'm a bit obsessive. So if you then become completely obsessed with I have to take these supplements these nutrients have to eat this diet I have to be doing this I have to be doing that it seems to get worse because the stress of all of that is like I can't I don't know what's working either if I do a million things and some of them might be making it worse so I've kind of let go and sat back a bit and done quite a lot of therapy to try and accept it and live with a level of it and it is in the summer it's amazing it nearly went away so it's a bit crushing to have it back again at the moment but it's not as bad it's fine I'm working I'm doing most of the things I want to do my quality of life is great so yeah I'm so glad that I did it but it's been very very hard very hard and it goes back to the allergy question like does food affect my skin and I think it did I think dairy always has I'm very allergic to dairy and because that wasn't diagnosed I didn't get diagnosed with dairy allergy until later in life and I knew it affected my skin. I think I was told to have the dairy. So I think if you then put stuff on your skin to try and make it better, but you don't reduce, you don't remove the triggers. And it took me a long time to work out what was causing my eczema. So of course I still kept needing the steroids because my skin was, I was reacting to the moisturizers they gave me. I was allergic to them. So it was like everything you're doing is making your skin worse and you just cannot fathom what but paraffin emollients are not good for my skin and that's what I've put on them for years so it's so with eczema and I don't I don't have eczema so forgive the dumb questions but I have eosinophilic esophagitis and EOE as we lovingly call it can take several days or weeks for you know if you eat the thing it can Mm -hmm. take a while for it to affect uh, for you to see some see any symptoms does eczema kind of work the same way where it's a delayed yeah it can be sometimes it's instant sometimes you just know like if you put something on your skin it, it immediately irritates you but sure but if there's food, going into yeah, your body yeah yeah and it can be a combination it's like that on its own is okay but that with that is really bad or too much of that one glass of wine probably okay a bottle terrible skin how long is the delay for eczema with ingestion-ish? Um, it probably doesn't happen for me until the next day. 
So you can be happily drinking with no real signs, go to bed, wake up the next morning and you're like, oh no, what have I done? So it's usually yeah. the next morning. It makes it so hard when it is not instantaneous. I, I don't, yeah. I finally came to an agreement with my allergist that we are never going to know what causes my EOE. Just never. Well, because what have you done that day? Probably eaten so many, if you pick out the ingredients, so many weeks. things. Yeah. It's just impossible, isn't it? Unless you have a really basic diet. Yeah. And when you eliminate everything, you start to cause other issues, right? Yeah. And reintroducing yeah. those things, like the, the, the process of eliminating things in a way that doesn't cause you to then start reacting to those things later. I know. It's so freaking hard. <laughs> it's like a detective job. It but, is yeah. a detective job, but it's like a detective job with blindfolds. Mm-hmm. And it's you like know? tiny little things, lots of tiny little things that I've done that make a difference. And they don't make a massive difference. They might make 0.01% change. Do you know what I mean? It's like finding out all the things for you that help and they probably won't help the next person and the next person. So for me, Dead Sea Salt Baths have just been wonderful. Every time I have one, I feel absolutely amazing afterwards. If I could live in the bath, <laughs> that would be great. Is that like Epsom salt? Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Slight difference in the way they work, but they're similar, like magnesium salts. Just reduces the inflammation, makes me feel calmer, and my skin is softer. And well, so I was going to ask you what your top eczema tips are, and that would apparently be number one. That would be number one, and then trying to avoid like damage limitation would be my number two. So I do things like keep my nails short. Last night, I like I had a sharp bit. It doesn't take long to do a lot of damage with a little hangnail. Keep the nails really short. Some people have acrylic, so I can't afford to do that, but they are much better because they're not as sharp. So, yeah, bandage. I bandage myself a lot. It costs me money, but if I'm going to bed really itchy, I'll put a bandage on or a tubey. Like an um, ace bandage, bandage or something like yeah. that. And that just, it's something about the pressure is really lovely. And then I've also gone hard on the self-care. And I mean, I think I might have gone too far on the self-care because it's something I just didn't know how to do. For my childhood and my kind of family background, it's very much buckle up, buckle down, get on with it, work hard. You've always got to be productive. If you sit down, what are you doing? Have you got homework? Have you got something to be doing? Should you be doing this? Should you be doing that? And I just could not allow myself to have any self-care, even though I would encourage other people to do it. So that has been game-changing for me. And I do think I've taken it. I will I will cancel things because I think I need a long bath and <laughs> to just sit in a quiet place and journal for a bit. I'd rather do that. And I know that how important that is for me now. So are those your first two most important ones, right? Mm-hmm. In the bath, which falls under self-care and eczema and journaling what else do you do to take care of you therapy as well I wish I could afford to do that long term but I think once you've done some therapy for me I writing and journaling was a big part of that and I found it hard to open up and learn things it had to coincide with writing like every question that came up I would have to write about it to understand it that's just a weird way my brain works so writing journaling and therapy have been really important as well just like unpicking all those layers of 
shame and guilt and things that happened to you years ago that you've never let go of, things people say about your skin that you believe is true and they're not true. It's very complex and it's such a hard condition to live with because it's not life-threatening. People don't realise how much it affects us, particularly for a woman when your face looks like a pizza. People will comment, you're either invisible to men or women. I'm sorry, women, if you're listening. Stop it, stop. Stop offering advice and stop saying, oh, poor you, how awful your skin looks really sore. And I, it's hard because I think people want to help and they think that they're being kind but actually you just want to be treated like normal and not for not anyone not to mention it it's very hard because I then I can talk to some people about it and I want to talk about it sometimes but I don't want it to be this you want to talk about it on your terms judgment. yeah like people will be like what is wrong with your skin <laughs> like yeah it is very weird looking at the moment yeah it's gets- fine but my son gets eczema on his hands, but largely in the winter, mm. not so much in the summer. And I think it's just because it's so dry, but mm. I haven't been able to identify a trigger for him. It's so hard to figure Actually, out. Because why? I read so much about this. Mine is flaring in winter. Is it the central heating? Is it what? I don't know. Is it lack of vitamin D? No. So many factors. Mm. So what's been harder for you, the anaphylactic allergies or dealing with the eczema? I mean, I'm going to guess the eczema, to be honest. I think the steroid withdrawal and the eczema has been horrendous. I think the anaphylaxis is different. It's That's caused me so much anxiety. And I didn't know what panic attacks were. I didn't even know I was having them. I didn't, I'd heard of them, but I didn't realize what I was having was panic attacks or that they were related to eating out and it's hard to ask for help I'm not very good at that I'm not very good at realizing what's going on and going and getting the help but I got there in the end (laughs) what does a panic attack look like for you in the interest of helping other people who might be the same type of feelings um it starts with um I start feeling anxious I start feeling stressed my heart starts racing sometimes I can hardly talk and hardly breathe and I then become completely unable to navigate the situation whatever it is sometimes it's about ordering food and eating out and I will just leave into tears I can't communicate to anyone I can't tell them what's going on I can't really explain why I feel very rude when it happens because I just sorry I can't I can't do it today I can't I can't order food and I'm just embarrassed upset crying And I have been sitting on the street in London, just crying, just rocking like like I've been just out of an institution, (laughs) shouldn't be allowed on the streets, just crying. Nobody stops. No one speaks to you. And I didn't know what to do. I couldn't work out how to catch the train. I was going to my brother's. I just didn't know what to do. And I eventually phoned him and he talked me through, like, you just need to get an Uber. Just get in an Uber and come here. I was like, that's going to cost us a lot of money. And I just, that's what I had to do. I couldn't navigate the underground. And my brother is wonderful. He just made me a little nest. So when I got to the house, I had this, all this, my family are there. And they're like, what do you, what do you get an Uber for? Why are you crying? And you just don't want to answer those questions, do you? Like, yes, I'm in my 40s and I can't catch a train because I've lost the plot. And that was the point where I thought, okay, this isn't normal. And it had happened to me before, but not quite as bad. Like I'd been able to get home, but yeah, it's quite can. terrifying. 
navigate the train in that moment. Not so much on mm. my, on my team. We talk a lot about the impossible task mm. right? and whatever the, the trigger of that may be, there are some times where there is just something that mm-hmm. in your day today, you cannot do. There's mm-hmm. no logic behind it. There's no physical impediment. There's no reason that you cannot do it, but your brain just will not allow it. And it's become something of uh, uh, like a magic word or a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a code word for us, right? Hey, I need your help with this impossible task. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't make make sense either. You're like, why is this the thing? And it's just like, it's a full pass. You can't do that. No problem. We will take it off. Like, do you want a cup of tea at work in the office situation? I would sometimes be like, yes, please. I'll just have black coffee or herbal tea. Some days I just can't do it. And I'll be that or that'll be enough to make me be in tears because I can't communicate how scared I am that you might stir my tea with you have a spoon and yeah it's really hard people are like, on that spoon that with you yeah 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 very hard in good news I think we can all identify with what that impossible task is right and being able yeah. to communicate even just that far I can't do that yeah yeah and I think I've probably that's what I've learned is now I know what's going on is to just be able to tell someone okay this is happening and it will be fine. <laughs> the hard thing with anaphylaxis and panic attacks for that is I, I was really fortunate to get some therapy for that because I did have, it was awful. Like the thing where you wake up and you're not woken up, what is it? Like there's a word for it where I'd wake up and have this weight on me, but I couldn't get up. I knew I was awake and it was just this horrible part, partly linked to the panic attacks. And the therapy is all about breathing through it because you are okay you're just having a panic attack but with anaphylaxis maybe you're not and maybe the thing that's making you anxious well it's never going to go away unless they can cure it so it's very hard to treat it with therapy because you cannot stop it from being there it's always there you could make a mistake I could make a mistake yeah it's, it's hard and therapy traditional therapy doesn't really get there because for me the hardest part about anaphylaxis honestly and this is going to sound maybe crazy but is when I think I might have ingested something the search for symptoms is this happening or is am I is my brain like inventing the thing that I think is happening and I'm not a hundred percent positive one way or the other and it makes me feel so anxious, right? Mm. Is my body really feeling this way or does my brain just worried about it feeling that way and therefore it's yeah. going to feel that way? I think the panic attacks sometimes are like that because you're like, when my breathing is affected, I'm like, have I eaten something? Is this what's happening? Sometimes it's just nothing to do with any food. Yeah, it's yeah. the hardest part for me. It, it's, and I know that given that you and I are talking about it and we have, you know, similar anxious experiences around food and the the symptoms, you know, there's a million other people out there thinking the exact same thing, mm-hmm. you know, oh gosh, yeah. I feel that way too. Yeah. So to and then the whole, what do I do now? If you have the whole spiraling panic of, okay, this is happening. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so hard. It's hard. So hard. 
So you have done uh, some amount of advocacy work in the UK. What's your legislative priority around these things that helping helping people get through them in a more, um, I don't want to say easy, that's not quite the word, but in an easier fashion than you've had to deal with? Yeah, we've had a new law in England called Natasha's Law, which has been really good because for me, I think, and I don't know if this is the same for everyone, but the most scary part of my life is going out and eating out and trusting somebody with that job of making me some safe food. And I think that is the most dangerous place for all of us. You can make your home safe. You can you can do as much as you can to keep your children safe by following them like to parties and mm. being that mum that's making sure everything is okay for them. You can control so many parts of your life that you can't control that unless you go out to the kitchen and <laughs> follow them round, which isn't acceptable. So those kind of laws, and I think we had another law called Owen's Law, and I'm not, that's not come into place yet, and that would involve ingredients for everything on every meal, but that's hard for food establishments to do. But, yeah, it's just a basic human right to know what you're eating, isn't it? It shouldn't be that hard, but it, there's so much pushback of, like, well, you should stay at home. You're just fussy. Is it that bad? That drives me bananas. The awareness is still shocking here. How can people connect with you online to learn more about eczema, to connect more on the mental health aspects or on the legislative aspects? They can find me. (laughs) Yeah, they can find me at What Allergy everywhere on all the things. That's what I am. Um, The book is Anaphylaxis, The Essential Guide, which is kind of a self-help book, perhaps for people who don't think they would like a self-help book because I it's a bit of a and where can people find the book on amazon and the other book is called the shape of skin which came out of my therapy and journaling and it's poetry about eczema but not how you've ever had it written about before there was just nothing out there no poetry i didn't ever see anything written and i think that's the problem we don't see ourselves people with allergies asthma eczema we aren't in films as a normal person, we might be there as the murderer or the anxiety-ridden weirdo. But you don't see yourself everywhere, anywhere. So I just wanted to write, to share all these poems. So yeah, The Shape of Skin. Also on Amazon, I take it? Also on Amazon, yeah. Very good. Ruth, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate how open you are and how willing you are to talk about not only your experiences, but how they make you feel. It's such an important conversation And you just know that there's so many people out there who are feeling exactly the same way, struggling with the exact same things and don't necessarily know how to deal with it. So thank you for being there for yourself, for me and for them. Thank you for inviting me on. I just feel like we could chat for hours, actually. 100%. You should come back. Yeah. For everybody listening, please get in touch with Ruth if you have, uh, you know, any of the same shared experiences or uh, you feel like you can help each other in any way. Uh, whatallergy.com. Ruth Holroyd, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Everybody who's listening, this has been the Shandyland podcast and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.